Sound Insights Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, joined uh, once again by Mike Waldman. Hello. And this week, uh, sitting in our third chair, we're glad to welcome Beverly B. from the Doctor Who podcast at Sound Insight. Thanks for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Hello, everyone. So we were talking briefly before we started recording, but uh, you are a you have, are a fan of the books. You've read them. Yes, I I still haven't finished the last one because I got a little bit tired of the of the whole series temporarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did read them all up up until the last one. Okay, so you're all caught up. Though we will once again for anybody who's new, we will keep this as spoiler free uh, as possible. We won't be talking about anything ad- in advance of where we are in the TV show, so you should be just fine. Though, as I recall, something about spoiler alert: everyone dies. Mike. Yes, everyone dies. Yes, always. Okay, so with that in mind... In the oh. next episode. <laughs> uh, let, let's dive into this this most recent episode, A Man Without Honor. Um, Beverly, what did you think of this of this episode, and what have you thought of the season so far? I've liked the season so far. The last couple of episodes, I've felt a little bit uh, bored, um, but I think that is because I've read the books, and things progress a bit faster uh, I find in in when you're reading, whereas in the show it seems to be going kind of slowly for some reason, and people are talking to me about it who haven't read the books, so they're very impressed by the things that are happening, and I'm like, but I want to get it to the, you know a certain <laughs> part that I really liked in the books, so that's totally my own fault. But the episodes are still really good. The acting is still phenomenal. I'm still really happy with what everybody's doing on the show. I'm still really impressed. I'm just a little bit ruined by the books. Fair enough. Uh, Mike, what did you think of this week's? Um, I actually agree with Beverly um, that uh, maybe because I knew what was happening, the last couple episodes haven't been super engaging. Um, and maybe because, as I'm sure we'll talk about, this one changed a lot from the book. Or maybe it's just because it was more cool stuff that happened. But this episode I definitely found a little more engaging, a little more exciting. And uh, maybe it was just there was so much Tywin Lannister. And I'm such a big Tywin Lannister fan. Well, T-Dog, baby. <laughs> That's a great place to start. When we talk about things that are that are different from the books or the ways that the series is diverging from it, one of the big things in the past few episodes has been this, this little arc with Arya as cupbearer to Tywin, which, correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't really get this in the book. We didn't get scenes between the two of them, and that's been a real highlight for me. Um, I, I actually, I think the whole thing has been interesting. At first... The way that she ends up as his cupbearer, I thought, was a perfect example of how certain happened in the book in a very sort of progressive, like slowly progressed but interesting, natural sort of way, are forced to happen somewhat haphazardly in the in the show. Like he he certain the books certainly he just doesn't see her and goes, "I need a cupbearer," and then she says cupbearer in the next scene. But as a result of that kind of progression, they're choosing interesting devices for exposition. Um, some of them are awkward as hell, but this one is actually quite nice. Um, and I think maybe, uh, because I, like I said, I, I'm such a big fan of Tywin Lannister and I think the actor's so great. I think the actress that's playing Arya is really benefiting from being around a, a, a seasoned actor like that. And I think it's really making her performance all the more mature and, and surprisingly quickly. And I think she's really playing off him well. And I think those scenes are, uh, a, a, a very elegant device uh for filling us in on backstory and moving the exposition of the main story forward yeah i mean just this whole episode watching the the especially this week because last week we got a lot of of aria having to deal with uh having to be strategic in in 
her duties as cupbearer due to uh, Baelish's presence. Uh, whereas this week, I felt like we saw her lower her guard a little bit, so we got to see Tywin. Uh, you, you, I started getting more nervous for her at, the more she was talking, and you could watch Tywin calculating. Um, you know, as, as she was eating and not paying attention, I thought uh, Dance, Charles Dance's performance there was really strong. Uh, what did you think, Beverly? I, I agree with uh, both of you, and I think... This is really interesting in comparison to the book because, uh, as Mike was saying, this wasn't really in there, really, in the books in the same way. And it is a great device for exposition and talking about uh, a lot of the history that doesn't, that wasn't presented in the same way. In the books, I didn't feel particularly sympathetic towards Tywin Lannister. Um, you do, I, I mean, I think his character does come across as a really bizarre, passionate father type but he's really just kind of a jerk. But this episode, it actually makes you kind of like him and you see this affection that he has, you know, for his daughter and he sees a bit of her in Arya. Um, but that really doesn't come across when you're, when you're reading it. That's actually a really good point. And actually um, I hadn't thought about that, but one of my criticisms of the book is that sometimes R.R. Martin draws somewhat, I think, caricature characters. And in the book, Tywin Lannister is somewhat forgettable for me. He's just sort of a caricature of a super domineering father, and he explains all the pathologies of his children. And um, he's almost like a like a, like a familial, a bit of like familial exposition almost. Um, but uh, I, I think that the, the performance of the show has been so good and I think the actor has been so unwilling to settle for just a one-dimensional character that it's really humanized him in an interesting way. And that's, uh, yeah, that's really true. I, I, I like him in the in the show. And I, there's nothing to like in the book. There's, you're not supposed to like him in the book. Well, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not an easy family to even like, other than, you know, aside from Tyrion's humor. He's just such a completely likable character. But outside of him, you know, these are not they're not nice people they've all done um they also are introduced doing things that are so uh terrible towards the the characters that you know most readers and viewers care about that it's really hard to to start uh getting you know some some like uh, some sympathies back from the audience but i think they've made great strides even just this episode uh i think the scenes we get with cersei and and tyrion uh and sansa are fantastic and also completely new um and also the scene we get the scenes we get with jamie are fantastic and also completely new so i think they've done a really good job with the whole lannister family yeah they they really use this episode just to make us sympathetic towards the Lannisters. That's really, I feel, what this episode was all about. It's like, all right, look, they're they're kind of human, and sometimes they have soft, nice moments where they bond over periods and murder. I don't know. It was just... It was a bit bizarre. Um, and I think, in a way, I still don't really feel sympathetic towards Cersei. I still think she's just a an asshole i don't like her very much at all and when she's talking about her children um she's basically saying let them rule your lives and they can be brats and get away with everything because you love them more than anything which is horrible parental advice uh i don't agree with that at all clearly it didn't work <laughs> out for her because her kid's a dick so you know there's certain things that it still it didn't really work on me 
um, seeing her cry, I kind of, I kind of cheered a little bit. Uh, it didn't make me <laughs> shed a tear. Uh, but yeah, Tyrion was great as usual. Um, and seeing their relationship is very interesting uh, because they're usually so antagonistic towards one another. So it was great to see him sort of, him sort of feel sympathetic, even though it didn't work for me. Well, and you could also tell that he didn't know what to do, that he he exactly. wanted to give her a hug or something, but he knew that that would kill the moment. And it's I got the strong impression this is by far the most vulnerable he has ever seen her, or maybe one other similar moment over the course of their entire lives, but that he really valued, you know, that that moment that they shared and so didn't want to you know, over, you know, come too close. That's why you could see he was not looking at her because he thought that's what she would want. And in trying to help and be close, but also so unsure of what to do. And for a character like Tyrion, that's rare. That's true. And I, I think, you know, as much as we like Tyrion, I think he bears humanizing as well. And I think that does that for him. Uh, do we want to turn our attentions north of the wall and discuss the horror that is the wasteland and Jon Snow's acting? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Beverly. This is the the weekly we uh, uh, Mike hates Jon Snow uh, portion, but that's, now, there's a lot I a lot's going feel, on this week. So let's talk about it. I always feel the need to mention. I don't hate him. I just uh, I object to the fact that his acting is horrible, and <laughs> and that's really the only thing he does for me. I don't care if he donates to charity or is a good basketball player or anything like that. I only know him as an actor and he's an atrocious actor and this week was no exception. Um, he hasn't had much opportunity though honestly and like he didn't have a lot of screen time where he could really attempt to... I, I agree and the last two episodes we've been treated to a, a buttload of Jon Snow screen time. How's that been for you? Yeah. I don't know. He's pretty. No. Ah, ah, exactly. <laughs> See, we're, we're we're replaying the exact history of our entire show in a mini conversation here. That is my <laughs> that's my exact point. He's a very attractive man. Um, you so have somebody supporting up, you, though. That's good. That must feel nice. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> this is like a microcosm of the entire history of this conversation. Um, um, I, 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 did, I do like Egrit though. I thought she was great in the book, and I like her in the episode. I like that. Um, actor whose name I cannot remember but she Rose was in Leslie. Downton Abbey yeah and I liked her in Downton Abbey and I I like her in in this I have a weird totally petty complaint I think she's too hot <laughs> like it, it you know just in the book in general I imagine the wildlings they're doing kind of just like really attractive people who happen to wear a lot of fur everybody on this show is attractive we've talked about this there, but like, there is nobody it, ugly. The people who but, are supposed to be ugly aren't really ugly so much as have been made to desensuate their attractiveness. Like, you get a giant scar on some of their faces, and for other ones, yeah. they have completely unflattering haircuts. Oh, he's not attractive. He's a beautiful man with a macho scar. He's hideous. Uh, no, you're right, absolutely. Maybe it's not even attractive. It's just the wildlings in the book are almost treated as like a sec, almost like a different race, almost, you know, like a, like people that would look very physically distinctive and have a totally different gait and, you know, well, they would be rugged but, and she looks like she's been pampered. That's the yeah, that's what I mean. She looks really hot yeah. and she's got really great skin and like, and I know that's a petty yeah. thing and you know, you're, you're not going to dirty everybody up, but like 
she's just as soon as she took off the hood, I was like, oh, she's really, really hot. That's just a little strange somehow. Yeah, she doesn't look particularly tough. I would say she doesn't, she doesn't look, look like, like she lives in the mountains in Antarctica. Yeah, she doesn't look like weather beaten. No, sorry, she doesn't look like um, Osha looked when she was captured. Mm-hmm. There so you go. I, yeah. they, they got it right with her and somehow did it wrong with Egrit just because they wanted her to be hotter because they were going to have these scenes where she's trying to convince Jon Snow to break his vows. Exactly. And of course, yeah, you couldn't have somebody who wasn't hot doing that, I guess. And I feel like that would at least have been a little bit more interesting. Like even the way um, you grab moved and stuff like that. I thought that like, they really got that right. Like, and the way she talks and everything. this is just like a hot girl from Scotland. This is like, if you were 23 and you were like on a trip to Scotland, you'd like really hope that you could pick up a girl that looked like this. Uh, and that just feels a little bit strange for a wildling uh, in, you know, the beyond the wall, but I'm sure that's a minor thing. We're going to meet a lot more of them. We'll see if, if that continues, I guess. Yeah, we'll see what happens just when. Uh, I mean, that that's a hell of a cliffhanger to leave us on. So I imagine uh, it'll be picked up right from there in the next episode. I, I yeah, I, I agree with, your, you know, your assessment of, of her, but I do really like the actress. So I guess it doesn't doesn't bother me too much but once again i am far more interested in what is going on south of the seven kingdoms than i am in what is going on north of the seven kingdoms so so what do you guys think about karth it's weird and and confusing <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> well they they definitely deviated from the book in this part because I was really confused watching it and it didn't make sense to me at all of course if you're just watching the show and you haven't read the books then this all makes sense to you. But I was just really confused with what was going on. And I don't really understand the motivations behind uh, what happened. Like why exactly did they steal the dragons? I don't, I still don't understand at the end of the episode. I was still unclear on how exactly this made their weird conspiracy work um, and why that's happening and how it's happening. It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Oh, it seems I, to me the the purpose of that is they are going to maintain control or possession of the dragons, but she will be there, uh, kept as sort of a, a, a prisoner. But because she's there, they will eat and be able to thrive, but she's going to be a prisoner too. And so then they will have the dragons. You see, I didn't think that that was... I, I agree with your assessment based on the fact that I know what happens to a certain degree, but I don't think that that's in evidence just in the episode itself. I kind of agree with Beverly. I feel like if you take the episode as a standalone, it seems a little convoluted. Um, my theory on the changes in the East, and I think there are going to be more of them, are that in the book, I thought that a lot of Danny's time in the East, and I don't want to give much away, but I thought a lot of it was meandering. A lot of it was like, people building plans that don't come to fruition and then the consequences of that are somewhat immaterial and then other things happen and other things happen and they meet sort of a long series of people with stranger and stranger names that have sort of conflicting motivations. I feel like they're trying to cut through a lot of that and they're trying to have that plot run parallel in speed to the, what's happening in the Seven Kingdoms. So I think you're going to get a little more freelancing like we had in this episode um, just to sort of cut to the chase a little bit in the East. Fair enough. That that works for me. Though I'm very curious who this chainmail chick is. Yeah. Okay. That's not that's not in the books either, right? I'm I have no idea what happened in that scene. Yeah. I, I I she could be, and I'm just not remembering. But I'm really interested in that. I think the the first of all, the just the character design is really cool. 
Um, but also the the I think the vocal voice performance and the I guess whatever she can emote through her eyes has been really uh, interesting. And so I'm looking forward to that that part of it specifically. Um, I, we were talking before the show too, and I think it's important to mention a real departure from the books has come in the form of this warlock guy that can do this very real world magic stuff where he's multiple people that can kill multiple people and stuff. Um, the magic in the books and certainly the magic of these warlock guys is very esoteric and sort of parlor tricky. Um, this is people with that kind of magical power or a real serious, I think, diversion from the book. Yeah, it's definitely speeding it up. I mean, I think it's just, again, trying to up the pace of everything. And what do you think of that, Beverly? I agree. I think that they're they're doing exactly that. They're just putting a, some stuff in just to get things moving and also uh, perhaps keep more of the interest uh, from their fantasy audience because these books are very political uh, and you don't have these dragons all the time. They're not even there for quite, you know, quite a while, and they're not even in this episode. So I think that there's maybe perhaps their motivation was to keep a little more of the magic going throughout this because it's not really in the books that much. You mean magic in general isn't in the books that much? Yeah, in that yeah, way. I agree. That's what I mean. Like, I feel like I feel also a lot of the magic in the books. It's hard to do on screen without, you know, the kind of internal narratives and stuff that they have in the book because it's so much so sort of esoteric. Um, so I think they're being forced to do things that are a little bit more, maybe a little more heavy handed, um, whereas the book had the benefit of a little more subtlety from time to time. I, I mean, I, maybe it's just me. I think the, the Piazza Pri, uh, his parlor, his uh, multiple of himself trick is really cool i think it's great i really like it so maybe it's just me but i i'm all for it you know though it does make lines you know like uh zarn zones uh from earlier uh, like last episode of the episode before describing his multiple you know duplication trick as a parlor trick uh, a bit incredulous uh you know the fact that somebody would actually believe that that wasn't actually magic um but but so i'm 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 okay with it I, I, I like guess the it, fact I, that he's creepy. Yes, good actor. <laughs> I like that there's a bit of like creepiness and scariness because there wasn't really much in this episode, and there's actually quite a bit of gross, creepy stuff uh, in the books, and it's kind of neat to see some of that, um, whether or not it's actually in the book on the screen. I, I agree. I, like I said, I don't dislike the choice to make the magic a little bit more real. Um, I just think, like I said, it does represent, I think, a fairly, a fairly major difference from the book. And I, cause I think R.R. Martin went really out of his way throughout the books to make magic this sort of very rare, very, maybe if only to separate himself, like all, all fantasy authors want to from Lord of the Rings really strongly, but it's not the kind of world where people like cast fireballs and duplicate themselves as multiple assassins in the books as much. I don't have a problem with it. It just it's it's a very deliberate decision, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are definitely fans who are getting frustrated uh, with the amount of magic. At least that's what I'm hearing in the show because it was so uh, such a, an underplayed element in the previous season. Though for me, the reason you watch the show isn't the magic; it's the the characters, and that hasn't changed or diminished. So 
but but I guess for people who don't want to be watching a fantasy show, it can be a bit much. Well, I think that's the most interesting thing about Game of Thrones is that it's funny because I don't actually generally like fantasy shows. I don't watch any fantasy. And other than the, these books, I've never really read much fantasy. Um, and I think the show draws in a lot of viewers like me that are expecting a slightly more, um, I don't want to say mature, but a, a different product, a product that has... Uh, a little bit more in common with a medieval drama with some fantasy elements than anything. Um, so it's interesting. They, they're they blessed by that because um, they draw in a much larger audience than a pure fantasy show would. But they're also cursed by it because the more fantasy they go, I think there's a chance that they, you know, will start alienating some of the audience. Although I don't think anybody's leaving at this point. It's pretty engrossing. Hmm. I mean, and I don't want to frustrate or annoy any of any of our listeners. And uh, let me know if I'm coming off too gruff, Mike. But for me, I don't understand that really. If you like the show for the the intrigue and the characters, uh, then they're still there. So just because there's magic too doesn't mean it can't be anywhere, any anything but insightful and engrossing and and completely fascinating character studies of a you know, a pseudo medieval world, just because there's magic, it doesn't change the performances or the, the writing that we're getting. So I, I get kind of frustrated at that. Oh, it has magic. So I, it can't be uh, a, a straight up drama. Well, I guess I would respond to that, that I don't think that just the presence of magic in any way negates its dramatic way to relevance. But I think that the presence of certain standards of fantasy provide things like Danny's acting that we so clearly disagree on <laughs> because for instance, Danny's acting would be completely unacceptable in an actual regular dramatic show. It would be ridiculous. I disagree, um, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's okay in a fantasy genre because that's what's required to play a character that's only going to be found in a fantasy setting. No. Oh, I disagree um, so strongly. This is like, well, this is interesting um, because for me, and this is a bit of a diversion, this, this compares so, so clearly with the conversations that have been going on about Avengers right now, since it's such a huge movie and people saying, well, it's, it, what do you, what do you want it to be? It's, it's just a comic book movie. So who cares if, you know, I don't like this performance or that performance, it's a comic movie, so it can have bad you know, writing or whatever. Now, granted, I think Avengers is great, but I get so frustrated when people say, people say, oh, that actor, like, like you feel like uh, Amelia Clark's acting wouldn't be good enough if it wasn't a, a fantasy series. I completely disagree. You, See, even... I, I, I think that that's an, like an object, an objective fact. Like, I, I think that like, I think that there are certain performances, duck sauce, her, like people that inhabit, and maybe if she was in a completely different role, maybe it's just that a role like the mother of dragons is such a distinctly fantasy role um, that it removes it a little bit from you know, from verisimilitude, but, or any a search for verisimilitude within the character, at least. Um, but I, I, I think that the fact that her acting is tolerable in a fantasy setting, but nowhere else is, uh, I, I always thought that that was sort of a given, like it, 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 it screams that to me. Oh, for me, good acting is good acting. Bad acting is bad acting. It doesn't See, that's, I agree. matter what genre, genre you're in. So for if, you know, since you're, you're not a fan of her, of her performance, it wouldn't matter if she was just the mother of three kids who had gotten kidnapped. 
you would hate the performance. I that's probably true. I don't think she's a good actor, but I think that that's definitely uh, exacerbated by her her character position. Uh, I, 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 what do you what do you think, Beverly? Yeah, help us out here. <laughs> I actually don't think she's terrible. Uh, I think that the way that she is acting, her portrayal of this character, is pretty spot on. Uh, she's a bit of a child. She's kind of bratty. Doesn't really know what she's doing. And I think that all kind of works together. I think it all ended up working out pretty well. Um, whether that's part of her, like, part of her bad acting or the way that she thinks she's acting well. I don't know if I'm saying that very clearly. <laughs> but I, I don't think she's doing a terrible job. I think that that character has to be uh, kind of inconsistent, uh, a bit heated, a bit bratty but still calculating. And this is, we're watching her learn how to do what she needs to do. And she ends up being a lot more, you know, like Cersei as she goes along, just much more calculating and stronger within herself and within the role that she's choosing uh, to fulfill. And I think that, I think that she'll get there and I think we'll see that character get there. I don't doubt that. At this moment, when I watch her, am I captivated? No, but I'm not captivated by the character at this time either. I think that there, it's it, that's exactly what it is. That's how the character has to be. Yeah, it's it's a tricky part, I think, and I, I do think it's a really interesting uh, discussion to be to be had, Mike. Um, this you know the conflict between uh, performances and characters and how much you can separate out from you know like especially you see some more stylized. Uh, like if something like I don't know, like Sin City, the, those performances are all so stylized because that's what the genre and and the film requires. Um, so trying to separate those out can be can be tricky, and it's really interesting. And I'm more with Beverly on this. I think she's doing a fine job. I think I'm the one who likes uh, Danny the most at this point. I I I am enjoying her storyline, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting that she's such a uh, divisive figure because I I feel like in the first season she was. Maybe not for you, Mike, but I, I felt like in general she was considered one of the, the highlights. You know, I, I didn't mind her as much in the first season. Um, you know what I think it is? I think that for me, more than any other characters in the show, I feel like she was cast because she looks the part perfectly. Um, oh. And I think I think when you cast for that, I mean, other than the fact that like everyone else in the show, they've decided and really, really smartly not to make everyone like 14 years old. Um, I they mean, never she, really... that's a wig. Her hair, she has dark brown hair. Oh, yeah, I mean, of but... course. And if you know, wasn't oh. <laughs> she died in contacts or contacts and everything. Mm. But she was clearly selected because she looks the part. She was clearly selected for her comfort also with uh, nudity earlier in the show, which not all actors are going to do in a syndicated show. Um, so I, I feel like um, I feel like she was selected for with that in mind, maybe a little bit more than her acting ability. I feel like she was somebody that really looked the part and was willing to do those scenes and was a, what they wanted enough in an actor. Um, whereas a lot of the characters in the show don't necessarily look like they're mentioned in the book. And I think they were selected because they were the best actor for the role. And I feel that maybe less with her than with other people. Interesting. Let's talk about some of the the, uh, the rest of the episode, though. We haven't talked about uh, we haven't talked about Theon. We uh, haven't talked about. I mean, I could talk a lot more about Jamie. We haven't really touched on on uh, Sansa and uh, the Hound. 
Do you have any? Do you guys have any other things that you'd particularly like to discuss? Sandor, I'm pretty Kledeen down for saying. talking about Theon. Yeah. Theon. Theon. <laughs> so, Such a great brat. Oh yes, definitely, definitely that. And um, I, what did, how do you think that was handled? What do you think uh, of his progression? I mean, knowing what's coming in the next episode, I'm really looking forward to uh, Yara if slash when she shows up. I think that'll be a lot of fun. But um, what did you think of uh, their handling of of the the two bo- the two bodies of any of that? In this case, they are sticking to the book uh, quite well. And I really like that they left everything kind of on a, on a cliffhanger with that as well, where we don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, are the people in this, you know, community going to, going to rise up because he killed the, the little Lord. What are they going to do? What really happened? We don't know, you know, because you don't see them catch them. Did he really catch them? Who knows? It's interesting. <laughs> and he's just such he's just such a brat. And he is so good at being a brat and making that like frustrated face that he has. I'm actually really quite impressed with uh Mr. Alfie Allen. Well, and it's a brat in such a different way from Joffrey, for example. I've I've really come around with him. He was not my favorite character or my favorite performance consistently at all, but yeah, I've really come around with him and, you know, for people that read the books and, you know, know what's coming over the next several books with him, there's a lot of, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think that that's really interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the stuff at Winterfell seems to be like you mentioned, Beverly, the most, the stuff that's sticking most closely to what happened in the books, except for the absence of the superfluous frog people. Um, who has, uh, Kate pointed out, they seem to be doing just fine without. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was really good. I was really happy to see a, a little sighting of the mountain too. Mm-hmm. Mountain's my favorite bad guy from, uh, from the books. So I guess for me, the last, uh, thing I would really like to talk about a bit is I love what we get with Jamie this week. I think it, that scene, the scenes with him are so well handled and, uh, and I mean, just watching him t- talk with his former squire, the, I mean, you could tell that whole, in that whole uh, sequence, like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna kill this guy. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> he's gonna kill him and just try to escape. Uh, and so just the way that that came together, I thought was really great. And they, I mean, I know at first some people weren't necessarily the biggest fans of, of, uh, of uh, Nikolai Coster-Waldo, but he's, I think he's fantastic as, as Jamie, and I'm really looking forward to what we're, what we're going to get next. I really like him as Jamie. I think he's the perfect man for that job. Uh, Jamie's character I find interesting because um, I find that the way that I understand him, I feel like he would be more interested in self-preservation instead of what he seems to be doing, which seems more suicidal when you're watching it. He's like, no, he's just going to get himself killed. This is what he's doing. That's the way it's going to go. When really he comes across as somebody who is very vain and would want to do anything that he could to stay alive. So I kind of find it interesting to look at the... um, I find that there's a conflict there in the the character, uh, which is kind of interesting. But I think he's doing a phenomenal job. I totally agree. I really liked this, and um, I thought that this gave 
little hints of the kind of I mean he is one of the more interestingly nuanced characters in in the in the books and in the shows um and maybe the character with one of the most pronounced arcs too mm-hmm. um so I am definitely looking forward to uh to his presence on the show um also I thought that the camp especially in the daylight when he's recaptured looked great mm-hmm. uh it's one of those moments where you're like holy shit what an expensive fucking show like <laughs> Like they've uh, like just for this scene where they're like bringing him in, they're like, okay, let's let's costume 120 extras and pitch like 30 tents, and we'll get like 10 horses, and we'll wait till it rains so it's full of mud and blah blah blah. Um, and that scene was like 90 seconds. Yeah, I, I think they've really. It's something that we don't actually talk about that that frequently on the podcast. I feel like maybe we should more, but once again, the the set design, the costuming, the makeup, all across the board on the show is is fantastic. It's so it's so good that it's easy to start taking it for granted. But you're absolutely right; that was wonderfully realized. And like for such a small scene, and like we talked about too. They are obviously truncating some of their sets a little bit in this season. You see way more scenes that happen in very small rooms or in small corridors that are supposed to represent huge cities. And that is so totally clearly because they're saving up their budget for the big battle that everybody knows is coming because it was in all the press. Um, But every episode that passes, I'm looking more and more forward to what that might look like. Absolutely. I am really happy about... uh television shows now and sometimes i think it's ridiculous how much people spend and how much we're willing to spend on these things but man they look so good and when i think (laughs) back to my childhood in the 80s watching like you know bbc shows and things like that where it was just you really see that everything's made of styrofoam you really know and you try to suspend that but it's really hard to do sometimes (laughs) <laughs> and the lighting was terrible, and everything was just kind of this weird gray-green color. It makes me so happy to watch these shows now where you feel like you could walk into it, and, and it's real. I don't know. I thought that, that TARDIS wall that was clearly a, a shower curtain was was pretty good <laughs> for those few episodes. Is that just just me? Just Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like our kids are going to look back on this, though, and go like, man, did you see the carbon footprint on that scene where they bring Jamie in? <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, from Westeros, we bid you a farewell. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. Um, so we'll be back next week with uh, our thoughts on the next episode. But before we go, we should say Simon has his review from for this episode up at sunnosite.org, um, and you can find the podcast there. You can also find my television podcast I do with Simon, uh, which which comes out every Tuesday at the website. Um, you can. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at the Televerse. Mike, you are still refraining. Actually, I um, have Hot Docs coverage that's been up for a week and is continuing to trickle in. So we're over the next week, if you want to check in at the hottest new documentaries that are just premiered at Hot Docs and will be showing in major theaters or through major release over the next month, you should definitely check that out. Absolutely. And Beverly, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, at Beverly B on Twitter. I mostly just 
post photos of the cupcakes I make. So which look amazing, by the way. <laughs> I, I must. You. I enjoyed them over the weekend. The 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 status <laughs> updates were fabulous. And then of course you're one of the co-hosts of the Sound Insight Doctor Who podcast, which is so much fun. Uh, you guys can check that out at soundinsight.org as well. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. We are gonna take. We came in with an acapella version of the Game of Thrones theme song, and we're gonna take it out with uh, Michael J. She's Twisted Little Man. This wasn't necessarily a tearing episode, but I don't think we've used this song before and it seemed like it was about time. So we're gonna we're gonna go with that. So thank you guys all for listening and we'll be back next week. Kick off your hearts careful where you stand. Kick off your heart. Careful where you stand Don't you move too close I'm twisted in a way